0: Praising our Savior. Let's do that all day long, shall we? We've been doing that all summer by looking at the Psalms, and we've been looking at the Psalms as an invitation to prayer. We've been learning how to pray through the Psalms. And this morning we're looking at Psalm 40. And as you read through the Psalms, you notice certain themes emerging. Uh, waiting on the Lord, or finding faith, or, or hope, or praising God. These grand themes that emerge from the psalms. But I tell you, there, there's one psalm that I've never found yet. And it's the one that goes like this. Hi, God. Uh, hey, thanks for answering all my prayers. Everything is just peachy keen right down here right now. And uh, if I think of anything else, uh, I'll get back to you later, okay? Oh, uh, hey, let's do lunch sometime. Ciao. We don't find that psalm. And we wonder, sure, life would be a lot easier if we did, wouldn't it? It sure would be a lot more efficient for God if if He would answer all those prayers, wouldn't it? And then, wouldn't the whole world come to Him? But we know that's not the life of faith. And when you stop to think about it, you realize that the life of faith is really the life of waiting. Waiting. On the answers to those prayers. And that's the theme that comes out of the Psalms. That's the theme that we hear over and over again. Instead of God constantly answering our prayers, we get Psalms like this. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for morning. In other words, the night watchman who is ready to get off his shift. More than those who wait for morning. That's Psalm 130. And then we get this. For you, I wait all day long. Psalm 25. How about this one? Heard this last month. Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 127. And there are dozens more. And we seem to be people who who spend our whole lives waiting, and that's the mystery of faith. How do we have faith in a God? who leaves us hanging there waiting with unanswered prayers on our minds. And I know people who refuse to believe in God for that reason. There's a man who refuses to set foot in this church because he's convinced that if there were a God, there would not be starving children in the Sudan right now because God would have answered the prayers for all those children. There are people who have been so disappointed by God that they've given up on Him. They've poured out their heart to Him. And they felt unanswered. And yet, here's the mystery. God has promised to hear those, their prayers, your prayers, my prayers, every prayer. He's promised to hear it. And beyond that, Jesus has promised to answer it in His own words. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. Gospel of John 14, verses 13 through 14. And then Psalm 40 that we're looking at today starts the same way. Jane just read it for us. It starts out like this. I waited. I waited for Yahweh. And you know Yahweh is a Hebrew name for the Lord, the God. And then the same Psalm ends with, You, my Helper, my Savior, my God, do not delay. Apparently, the psalmist who starts in waiting is ended in waiting, and he's still praying, Do not delay. And right in the middle of the prayer, we hear this, Be pleased, Yahweh, to rescue me. Yahweh, come quickly and help me. And so we start to realize that the posture of prayer is waiting. But here's the mysterious part. Right in the middle of this psalm, there's a whole lot more going on. Right in the middle of this psalm, right after the I waited, I waited, he stooped to me, heard my cry, and he rescued me. And how much you have done, Yahweh my God. Your wonders, your plans for us, they are beyond imagination. They're more than I could count. So this psalm lives right in the middle. It lives and breathes in the mystery of this waiting and this answering of God. And the both seem to be held in tension at the same time. And the mystery is, maybe, maybe God doesn't answer prayers the way we ask them. And when we focus too much on the asking and what we're telling, we can miss out on what He's answering back. So here's what I want to do with this psalm today. I want to dive into the middle of the psalm and I want to find out what's happening in the middle of this psalm that is the cause for rejoicing. Because the psalmist is clearly waiting when he starts and when he finishes. So where's the, all the rejoicing taking the place in the middle of that? And the interesting thing is that it's in the middle that where all the action is. Because the waiting is not passive. Waiting is, waiting is not doing nothing. The waiting is active. It's involved. And that's where the action is. We hear it right here. He pulled me up from the seething chasm from the horrible pit. From the mud of the muck. He set my feet on a rock making my steps secure. The pit. He pulls us out of this pit. Could be many things. It could be things that we've got on our mind right now. Places we find ourselves where we're stuck. It could be An illness, it could be a grief, it could be a broken heart, it could be depression or despair. But most of all, I think the pit it represents that pit of that darkness of despair that we find ourselves in when we're struggling to find something we can hang on to, and we can't see because it's dark around us, and we can't see how it's going to work out, we can't see how we're going to get out of this mess and we can't see where god is that's the pit there's a fabulous story and you know how much i love mountaineering and there's this incredible story called touching the void it's a true story about two men who climbed an almost impossible face in the andes the siula grande and simon and joe are climbing this mountain And and it's out in a movie now, too. It's a fabulous movie done documentary style. And as they're coming down off the summit, Joe falls. And he's caught by his partner holding the rope. But he's dangling in midair off the edge of a cornice with a broken leg. And he's just hanging in space with nothing to hang on to. He's being held up by this rope around his harness. His partner is up on the other side of the cornice, out of sight, out of earshot, doesn't have a clue what has happened to Joe, who's hanging there in space. And then it gets worse. Because Simon, the one who's up top holding the rope, got his feet planted in the snow, it's powder snow. He starts to slip. He keeps trying to dig out. He keeps trying to dig out. This goes on for hours. He's trying to dig out. He can't figure out what's happening below. He he thinks by now Job may well be dead and he knows one thing for sure. If he slides another two feet, they're both going to be dead, guaranteed, because he's going to go off the edge. He cuts the rope. It's one of the most devastating stories in all of mountaineering legend. The unbelievable part is that they both live. You've got to Read the book or see the movie to find out how how that happens. But the point is, talk about leaving you hanging. Did I just cut the rope on you? Let me see if I could pull you back. See, there's only one person who can pull us back no matter what happens. And you know who that is. It's got to be God. When you you hook yourself up to God, you're hooked up to the only person who can be a solid rock that will never slip, no matter what happens. He will never slip. And here's the thing that happens when you connect yourself to God. When you're tethered to Him, not only does He never slip, you you cannot pull Him down. The only thing that can happen is that He can pull you up. It's impossible for you to bring Him down. And when your soul makes contact with Him, every time, your soul gets a lift. And that's what's happening in this prayer. As God scoops us up out of the pit. When we make contact with Him. And that's not all. Here's the other thing that God does. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. So, He puts us in a new place with secure footing and He gives us a new song to sing. He pulls us out of the mud and the muck of depression. Now, before I go any further, I have to say that I do not mean to suggest that anyone can just go cure their depression by saying prayers to God. It's not that simple. We're talking about a serious disease. And depression can make it even impossible to say prayers. And when that happens, we need people around us who can pray for us and with us. But the point is that when we turn to God in prayer, He is there. He's listening, even though we may not be able to see Him because of the darkness that we're in. He's always there, even though we can't see Him. There was a family that woke up in the middle of the night when their smoke alarm went off. And the father raced into the children's bedrooms and he snatched up the 18-month-old in his arms and then he went and got the four-year-old by the hand and started dragging him down the stairs. And as the family's going down the stairs, he got to the bottom of the stairs and halfway down the little boy had realized that he wanted his teddy bear that was up in his room and he ran upstairs to get it. And, but in the meantime... The rest of the family had gotten outside, and they're standing outside, and they realize the boy's not there. And the house is filling with smoke. And the next thing they know, the boy appears at the second-story bedroom window and says, Daddy, help! And the father rejoices and said, Tommy, jump, jump! And, And the boy said, I can't see. His eyes burned by the smoke. I can't see. And the father says, Tommy, it doesn't matter. I can see you. God is there even when we can't see Him. But yet we have a tendency to ask God to show up in a certain way that we can see. A certain way we have in mind. And that's what's called the prayer list. Now the prayer list is exactly what God does want to hear from us. But the list itself, you see, the, the list itself isn't the prayer. The prayer is the relationship with God. The list comes after so let's start our prayers with the relationship. And let's realize that the posture of prayer is waiting on the Lord, falling on our knees in our heart. And when we do that, and when we find ourselves in that posture of prayer with God, connected with God, then the prayer list flows. And the prayer list receives. And it's received by God. You know, so a prayer list doesn't make a prayer any more than a marriage license makes a marriage it's in the relationship it's not quite so much in the in the asking and sharing needs which is important as it is in, in the relationship and paying attention to the other person and that's what this psalm is doing this psalm is helping us focus on the relationship and when that relationship happens that's when we make contact we get lifted We get a new song and we found a secure place to stand. And that's why there's rejoicing even in the midst of the waiting. And the most amazing clue to this, the most amazing clue to the power of God to be at work in the middle of prayer is found right here in verse 6. And he talks about my ears. And he says, you wanted no sacrifice, no cereal offering, no sacrifice for sin, but you gave me an open ear. You gave me an open ear. That's our relationship with God. And one of the things about the Hebrew language that I love so much is it's so earthy. You know, we get this mud in the muck. And I have a sneaking suspicion that the mud in the muck is pretty smelly stuff. And that if we had translated it literally, we might not be able to say it in church. It's that kind of earthiness. And it's the same thing here with this ears, because the literal reading out of the Hebrew for this is, but ears, you have dug out for me. It's the same word that is used for digging out a well. And it's this image of God, you know, no one has ever seen God, and I, for one, find it impossible to imagine what God would look like. But there's one part of God that is maybe easier for me to imagine. That would be his hands. His hands. Because He's a God who works with His hands. And the one image I have of His hands is God has got dirty fingernails. (laughs) Because guess where He does His creation? In the miry clay. Created us out of the dust of the earth. And I have this image of God just reaching down and as He forms us, scooping out ears with His hands. Because that's how He wants to relate to us. Those ears are so we can... Hear Him. Connect with Him. Even when we can't see Him. And He's not a God who's afraid of getting His hands dirty. He'll get down there in the slimiest pit that anyone has ever seen. And if you've ever been rescued from the pit, you know that's true. In fact, it so often seems that the people who know God best, the people who are the people who have seen Him show up in the miry pit. The people who have seen Him show up in the mud and the muck of their life and rescue them seem to be the people who have the, the new song in their mouth and the people who have something to tell us about God, the people who seem to be able to connect with Him in prayer. Because so often those are the people who have spent a lot of time, that's right, a lot of time waiting. They're the people who have spent a lot of time waiting. And they've experienced the unanswered prayer. So if God's done that for you, if God's given you a new song to sing, sing it! So that other people also will know that He is real. And He is there, even though they can't see Him. Because He's always in the business of creating something new. And the place where He does His best work is in the mud and the muck. And when we turn to Him, and give him the the opportunity to do that kind of work in our life without telling him how to do it? Why, that's his favorite work of all. That's where he gets to be the most creative. And then we discover, when he does that, that he's done one other thing. We've discovered that he's written our name into his book. It says right here in the psalm, I discover that I am written in the scroll of the book. The author of life knew better than we did how he was going to rescue us. And it's written right there in his book. And we are known by God. And we discover that the author of life knows us. And it's personally written us into his name. We discover his name. Because his name is Savior. Rescuer. Yeshua. Yeshua. Jesus. It means rescuer. And when we learn His name, we learn our new name. The only name He can give us. Faithfulness. Confidence. Friend of God. One who seeks my face. Amen.